0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, there's been a lot in the news, not, not lately, just I think in general, about our aging population. Um, you know, our baby boomers getting older. It could tax our healthcare system. It's also going to tax our caregivers. There's been a lot of studies into this, this aging baby boomer population, but one population that hasn't really been looked at closely is the child caregiver population. These are kids between about the ages of 8 and 18 who are caring for older people, whether that's their parents or their grandparents, in their own homes typically, and they've kind of been overlooked,
0: Yeah, there's been more attention paid to child caregivers or young carers, as they're referred to, um, in Australia and the U.K., but there's actually only been one large-scale study conducted in the U.S., on our American young caregivers and their families. And that was conducted in 2005 by the National Alliance for Caregiving and the United Hospital Fund. And it was actually commissioned in 2003 by the U.S. administration on aging because there was this recognition that, like you said, there was this population out there of kids who weren't getting any attention and kind of falling through the cracks precisely because they are kids taking care of older people and don't necessarily have the same resources to advocate for themselves.
1: Right. And the study really revealed the size and scope of this group and focused on their issues, their mental health issues, confidence issues, things that they have to deal with in caring for older people. And Josephina Carbonell of Health and Human Services said, you know, they are aware that children have always played this role in families, uh, especially in minority communities where they frequently act as interpreters and care for their siblings, you know, not just older people, but siblings as well. And then she goes on to say, but this report reveals that a significant percentage of these children are providing much more personal and complex, complex tasks.
0: Yeah, and in talking to USA Today about this, Gail Gibson-Hunt, who's a president of the National Coalition for Caregiving, says this is a failing of our health care system. Because like you mentioned at the top of the podcast, Caroline, uh, this aging population is putting more stress on the healthcare system. And as we'll look at the demographics of who these child caregivers are, we see that they are having to fill in the gaps where there isn't enough income or health insurance or medical resources to to take care of these older people's medical needs.
1: Yeah, and one person who is actually recognized for her good work in this area is Connie Sisk- Siskowski, excuse me. She's the head of the nonprofit American Association of Caregiving Youth. She was also just named one of CNN's top 10 heroes of 2012, and she said in a CNN article The kids don't have a voice, so they need somebody to be their voice and their advocate. When these children receive the recognition they so deserve, along with the academic and skill support they need, they are able to remain in school and have confidence in themselves and become basically healthy adults. Because one of the big issues is, you know, if you're some kid taking care of your mom or your sister or your grandmother, somebody like that, you might not have time to do all of the regular kid things you need to do, like go to school or just play with your friends.
0: Yeah. And one of the reason why Saskowski started that nonprofit was because she was also a child caregiver um, when she was 13 years old. In fact, she helped out a lot taking care of her grandfather. And sad story, she actually found him dead when she went to give him his medication. And obviously that had a huge impact on her and a huge impact for motivating her to start the American Association of Caregiving Youth.
1: Well, yeah, so let's look at who these kids are and how many there are because, like Kristen mentioned, this 2005 study is really the only big, large-scale study of these kids. And in the U.S., they found that the number of child caregivers is somewhere between 1.3 and 1.4 million children between the ages of 8 and 18. And it's one thing, I I mean, it's stressful to be a kid in this situation, but I can't imagine being an eight-year-old taking care of an older person. They also found that of the 28.4 million households that have a child between 8 and 18 living there, 3.2 percent have a child caregiver.
0: Yeah, and to g- put that into a little bit of perspective those numbers, uh it's roughly equivalent to more than the total 3rd through 12th grade students in New York, Chicago, and Washington DC. Combined. Um, now, this is a tiny sliver of the overall, like, unpaid caregiver population. You compare that 1.3 to 1.4 million kids to the 44 million-plus unpaid adult caregivers. But nevertheless, that's still a significant population when we consider the ages of, you know, who is doing this unpaid work um, because the study also found that there's a pretty even distribution among 8-year-olds through um, 18-year-olds, about 30, 30, 30, from 8 to 11-year-olds, 12 to 15-year-olds, and 16 to 18-year-olds.
1: It's also pretty evenly split between gender, uh, m- between male and female, 49% male versus 51% female for the uh, gender of the caregivers. Uh, they found that they tend to live in households with lower incomes than do non-caregivers. They're also less likely to live in two-parent households. That's 76% versus 85%. So, I mean, if there's no one else in the home to care for the sick parent or sibling or grandparent, it might fall on
0: the child. Right, and on top of that, a majority of the child caregivers were the only kid in their household, or at least the only, they might have had siblings, but they were the only ones who had the responsibility of the household caregiving. So they might be the oldest among and have younger siblings as well, but 61% of them uh, were the only ones in their house doing this kind of work. And who are they taking care of, Caroline?
1: Most of them are taking care of a parent or grandparent, and out of that, primarily the mother and grandmother. Uh, so 73% of those cared for are female, and because of that, female caregivers are much more likely to be in a same-sex caregiving relationship, so a daughter caring for a mother or grandmother as opposed to a son caring for you know, a father or grandfather.
0: And in terms of the age of the these care recipients, as they are termed, uh, 32% are between 40 and 59 years old. Those are probably the parents. And then 25% are 60 to 79 years old, and that's where that grandparent population probably comes in. Um, and in doing this research, I hadn't really thought, thought about it before, even though it was a pretty significant part of my life at the time. But when I was in middle school, probably part of elementary school as well, uh, my great aunt actually came to live with my family, and it was kind of an all-hands-on-deck effort to get her daily routine um, taken care of in terms of getting the meals, taking her on walks or, you know, if, if there was anything that she needed. And there was actually a period of time when I was being homeschooled and my mom had gone back to work. And from, you know, the, during her work hours, like my great aunt was my responsibility. And the good thing is she was, you know, she was not a handful and there she didn't have a severe medical condition to where, you know, they were leaving me with something that I as at that age wouldn't be able to take care of. It was simply making lunch, watching Matlock together, <laughs> things like that. Um, so so yeah, I guess I'm part of this population. Interesting. How long did she live with you guys? She lived with us for a long time. Um I don't know, maybe six years, seven years. Hmm. Uh yeah, I would actually have to go back and ask my mom. I can't remember Precisely how long she lived with us. Interesting. Um, but the most common conditions, my great aunt came to live with us because she had had multiple strokes. Uh, but the most common condition dealt with in these situations are Alzheimer's or dementia, um, followed by heart, lung, and kidney disease, arthritis, and then diabetes.
1: Yes, and most of the child caregivers... Uh, do help the person that's uh, they're taken care of with at least one activity of daily living that's like bathing, dressing, getting out of bed, and stuff like that. Nearly all the study found help with instrumental activities of daily living, which is doing the shopping, the household tasks, and the meal prep. So they looked at you know the tasks that these kids are doing, and they found that caregivers who help with the normal activities of daily living, the ADLs, perceive themselves as having more responsibility than do non-ADL caregivers and that they're twice as likely to feel often that people expect too much from them.
0: And on top of performing those daily tasks, and this was something that I, I did not have any experience with, this was something my parents completely took care of, but one out of six of these child caregivers actually will help uh, the care recipient communicate with doctors or nurses. Fifteen percent of those 12 and older help make phone calls and arrangements for the care recipients to help care for the person. And also female caregivers are more likely to spend time on top of doing that, taking care of siblings as well.
1: Now, that that sounds completely exhausting. I mean, all of these responsibilities for a young person. And it, that's true. That's not just me saying that. Uh, so researchers in the U.K. and Australia have done a lot more studies and research into this than in the U.S., and they have found that being a caregiver is exhausting for these kids and they are more likely to fall asleep in class and fall behind on assignments. Not only that, these kids tend to feel socially isolated because, you know, like we mentioned, they don't really have time to hang out or bring friends home like, you know, non-caregiver kids do. Uh, the 2005 study showed that fewer of these caregiving kids report having a lot of time for themselves. So they're giving up a lot of sort of their there being a kid time to take care of grownups.
0: Yeah, I mean, and this makes total sense because uh, caregiver stress is extremely common among those 44 million plus adults who are, you know, the unpaid caregivers in their home taking par- care of older parents um, and other adults. And uh, for instance, like research has found that for just adults, they're more likely to have health problems of their own, including heightened risk of depression, taking more sick days, weaker immune response, slower wound healing, higher rates of obesity and higher risk of cognitive decline so of course we're going to see some related issues among child caregivers now i I don't think it's quite as acute for most of them because the responsibilities placed on a majority of child caregivers are much less than the ones that might be uh, carried by the adults Um, but like you said the the main concern i think for people when they are Looking at this population is um how that stress is affecting them and possible social social isolation is affecting them during these very formative years, because I think uh, there's been some criticism of of people from uh, this is more going on in the UK saying, hey, we don't need to, like, victimize these kids. You know, children are very resilient. They can do these things. Uh, we don't need to, you know, paint them as like, woe is me. Their parents are bad for not hiring a nurse to come in and do this for them. But the statistics do clearly show that um, there are some more negative behaviors linked to being a child caregiver.
1: Right. Just like, uh, anxiety and depression. Uh, the 2005 study was, uh, brought this up and was confirmed in a 2012 study in the Journal of Behavioral Health Services and Research that these kids are more likely to feel, at least sometimes, that no one loves them. And this is particularly evident among kids 8 to 11. Young caregivers are more likely to complain that they feel worthless or inferior, at least sometimes. And that age group, the older age group, 12 to 18-year-olds, are slightly more likely than non-caregivers to have sudden mood changes. So there's there's a lot of anxiety there when you're sort of, when the role is reversed, child and child and grown-up.
0: Yeah, and I can definitely attest to frustration that c- can come with having to take care of an older person in that situation. And it's confusing when you're a kid because you know that you're supposed to love this older person and respect them, especially for me. Like, I, I remembered my great-aunt from times when Uh, you know, she was fully able bodied and, uh, she always got us really neat Christmas presents and gave us, you know, Eskimo pies. And I Mm -hmm. always looked forward to going to her house and it was a completely different experience having to take care of her. So I think there's a lot to be said there for that role reversal, as you put it. And, um, because of that, will you'll see a lot of escape behaviors that can happen among child caregivers basically like wanting to kind of get away from the situation take a break if they can
1: yeah and that's definitely an outlet i mean there's nothing wrong with behaviors like reading for hours uh going for walks you know go- going to play outside and stuff like that it's just when those escape behaviors take up a lot of time when they're spending inordinate amounts of time by themselves that it becomes it, it sort of just gets in the way of them forming relationships with other kids, or maybe bonding with the other members of their family, stuff like that.
0: Well, and as they grow up, um, there were there were anecdotes of this in the in the articles that we read about child caregivers among uh, these older teens and who are now becoming uh, full fledged adults of avoiding marriage, not really wanting to start a family of their own because of a certain feeling of responsibility, but also residual guilt of if they start their own life and move away, then who's going to take care of this person? You know, you have to stay close to them.
1: Exactly. Well, I mean, we've we've talked about all the anxiety, the depression, you know, the, the, escape behaviors, is there anything positive that comes from young people taking care of their elders?
0: Absolutely. Um, I mean, there is evidence that a lot of these kids grow up to be more mature and responsible adults who are closely connected to their families.
1: Yeah, these kids do show evidence of high self es- self-esteem, more empathy, and a strong sense of belonging to their family. And a lot of them actually grow up and in, go into the uh, healthcare or social work field. So they, they just transition what they're used to at home into a, a career of caring for other people.
0: Yeah, and I think that it is important to, to recognize that there are Positives from this, because when a majority of these households are earning less than twenty five thousand dollars and you're in a single parent situation, a majority of the time, it's also clear that it's not. It's not adults doing bad things to kids and putting too much responsibility on kids, although I'm sure that certainly happens. But in the big picture, I think like Gail Gibson from the National Alliance of Caregiving said, this is a bigger conversation about health care and how our communities support each other and an entire network that ends up being filtered down to sometimes a child. So in these situations, when you have a young caregiver, what what can you do to mitigate the risk?
1: Well, uh, Leanne Austin, who's a nurse, wrote for Today's Caregiver about her own experience um, with her children having to take care of her, and she actually was taking care of her mother at one point. She says that it's really important to communicate clearly with your children or with your young caregiver in the house. She said that they need to know that they're not responsible for the adult's or the sibling's condition because guilt does play a significant role in the child's desire to be a caregiver. If they think that they could have done something better, if, you know, they feel too guilty to go out and play with their friends, that they need to stay home. Provide simple and clear information about the condition and talk about it, but just not all the time. It's not really dinner table conversation. You want to let your kids know that, you know what, this isn't all there is to life. Yes, you're helping me a lot by taking out the garbage or, you know, making the beds or whatever you're doing. But you're also, you know, life is going on. This is not the only thing that that we're about.
0: Yeah, and she also encourages adults to remain as independent as possible to diminish that possibility of the role conflict that we've talked about. And keeping in mind, like, what are age-appropriate tasks for kids? I mean, I helped make a sandwich and put cottage cheese on a plate. Mm-hmm. That was very age appropriate for a middle schooler to do.
1: Right, folding laundry, feeding Fido, stuff like that. Yeah. It's it's different when you're, you know, having your kid try to lift you out of bed and stuff like that.
0: Exactly. And there are support groups out there and resources um such as uh the organization that we've mentioned before, the American Association of Caregiving and Youth that it's based in Florida right now, but it focuses on finding these populations and helping them with like getting someone in the house, like a a medical professional in the house if necessary, for regular visits, uh, getting the kids uh, transported to and from school, getting them tutoring help if needed, just making sure that the support is there that they need.
1: And there's also a Young Carers Network in the U.K. and Australia, because like we mentioned before, They have done a lot more looking into this young population. You know, there was one quote, uh, from CNN about, um, you know, people just kind of don't want to think about this. Like, they don't want to think about the bad situations that can happen when kids are taking on all of this extra responsibility of being essentially like a nurse almost for their family. I mean, depending on obviously the responsibilities that they have to take on, but this is definitely something that deserves more attention these kids need help
0: yeah and we've uh we've touched a lot on or framed the conversation i should say more in terms of adults in need of medical care for things like alzheimers or kidney disease uh but addiction is also um, one big reason why some children will end up in caregiver roles and so the alateen branch of alcoholics anonymous is another uh resource for kids as well who are going through this
1: yeah. So I'd like to give a shout out and see, you know, what listeners have gone through. If they've taken care of older people in the home like you did, or if it's been more of a long term thing, you know, what what complications or or positives have come out of the situation?
0: Yeah. And I bet we have listeners out there uh, right now who are might have an older person living in their home and giving that daily care for them. So we'd love to hear from you. Share your stories with us at momstuffadiscovery.com is where you can send them. Or, of course, you can always head to our Facebook and share your story with everyone. Now, before we get on to our listener letters, we've got a quick word here from our sponsor bringing us this episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You, which is jackthreads.com. Now, these seasons... Are changing. Caroline, I don't know about you, but uh, I am in need of a wardrobe refresh. And if I were a dude. Uh, I would head over to Jack Threads because Jack Threads has quickly become the, that is in all caps, the online shopping destination for dudes because everything on the site is up to 80% off. Uh, the kinds of stuff that you will find on Jack Threads include contemporary and street apparel, accessories, and gadgets from brands like Converse, Penguin, and Busted Tees. So if you or your fella are in need of some new duds this fall, head on over to jackthreads.com and so they know that you sent we sent you head over to jackthreads.com slash mom that's jackthreads.com slash mom and everything on the site remember is up to eighty percent off and now back to our letters
1: this letter is from Dimitri regarding our pussy riot episode He wanted to give us a little perspective. So he says that uh, being from Russia myself, I thought I would write to you regarding the issue. So I really think the fact that they were imprisoned has nothing to do with what they did, although the excuse of the government is there. Putin could be criticized and called a tyrant for a harsh sentence they received, but what he did was essentially a political move. As you said, a vast majority of Russians, myself not included, did not support Pussy Riot's actions. This could be due to the conservative nature of the society or a number of other reasons, really. The fact that they were convicted was due to the fact that although some Russians dislike Putin, they dislike the West even more. You have said that some journalists have reported that the public thinks the ban's actions are sponsored by the Western powers. So he decided to show his solidarity with, quote, his people by sentencing them to prison. Otherwise, he would have appeared weak. The next logical move for him is to show his benevolence and release them with a smile on his face and expect their thanks for it. I may be wrong, but this sort of logic is very typical of the circus that is called government in Russia today. And a couple of additional points, he says. LGBT rights are practically non-existent in Russia. Their protests are violently suppressed, whereas demonstrations of ultra-right-wing groups like skinheads are typically... Not touched at all. So thank you for the perspective, Dimitri.
0: And I've got another email here about our Pussy Riot episode, and this is coming from Laura, and she writes, I was most interested in the overall Western take on the matter as it strikes me how quick we are to forget our own history. Upon learning more about Pussy Riot from your lovely podcast, boy, thank you, I was immediately reminded of the American Gorilla Girls from the 20s. I think it would be helpful for people to compare the two. While the quote-unquote art the Gorilla Girls created and performed was indeed art in that it was expressing ideas Opinions and emotions. It was not art for expression's sake. When we look at Pussy Riot, we need to not think of them as a band creating music just for their and others' enjoyment, but a social and political movement for women's rights, similar to our guerrilla masked women of the 1920s when America had our own women's rights phenomenon going on. I feel that by thinking back on the political and social situation for American women, when in a culture I can more easily relate to, allows me to better see how Russians, supporters and non supporters of Pussy Riot, like must be feeling as their whole social and political system is being freshly challenged in a way that is arguably old hat to Americans and gorilla girls are still in existence today. And I'm not familiar with uh, the gorilla girls from the 1920s. So we might need to look into that. Indeed. So in the meantime, thanks for all of your letters. Mom stuff at discovery.com is where you can send them. And thanks for sharing. Your insight with us on Facebook as well, and tweeting us at Mom Stuff Podcast. Oh, yeah, and for your follows on Tumblr at Stuff Mom Never Told And if you'd like to get smarter during the week, why don't you head over to our website? It's How Stuff Works. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.